need to pray for wisdom. I'm just like a farmer prays for rain. Cause I knew that I must have it to survive in this life. So I took a look beside me. To my left and to my right. Saw people full of wisdom all around in my life, and it started to come clear. I began to understand that my prayer was being answered. It's all part of God's plan that if we walk with the light, we will grow wise. Well, good morning, Vertical Life Church. How are we doing today? Awesome. Good to see everybody here. And uh, those of you that uh, have been gone, it's good to see you back. And uh, some new faces here today. Uh, Returning again, thank you so much for being here. We hope and pray that uh, you experience the presence of God while you're here. Uh, I know that uh, every time we gather, God uh, has a way of revealing himself. And even when you're not expecting it or even maybe looking for it, Even the smallest way, God has a way of connecting and revealing his heart to us. And so I'm glad you have uh, chosen to be with us this morning. Uh, We have just a couple quick announcements, and then we'll get into the teaching. Uh, If I could get somebody to close the back doors for me before we get started, that light is just blinding my eyes. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Oh, they got it already. Awesome. Our hosting team's in the back. On top of it. Thank you so much. Uh, tonight, 5.30 is prayer night. This is something we started a month or so ago. Uh, every Sunday night, 5.30 at my house, we invite the church to come for prayer. This is not your grandpappy's prayer meeting, if you know what I mean. We're not, we don't come together and take a thousand prayer requests and get one person to try to remember them all. We seriously just come in an organic way. We pray about what is on our heart. There's some different areas we pray for. Our, our church, our city, and things like that. But then we pray over one another, and we believe in the power of prayer. One of our core values at Vertical Life Church is unceasing prayer. And we know that God can move mountains when the church comes together and prays together. So if you don't have any plans, you don't have anything going on tonight, 530, uh, be there. If you have small children, we just ask that uh, you find uh, potential uh, sitters for them. With Because we're in a small house, uh, it's easy to get very loud and disruptive with, with kids that need to be watched, and we don't have a, a babysitter on site. So if you have the ability to do that, we would ask that you do that. Older kids will put on a movie down in the basement and they'll be fine. But uh, um, please, uh, if you're available, come on out to 5.30 p.m. tonight. Of course, we launched last week our Celebrate Recovery program on Tuesday. I, I would consider it a success, wouldn't you, John? Uh, yeah, we had we had several. We had 20 to 30 people there, uh, a lot that weren't even from our church, which was an amazing thing. And, uh, and so if you didn't have a chance to come, we invite you to come Tuesday evening. Doors open at 6.15. The program starts at 7 to come and see what God can do and uh, in, in a place where you're not going to be judged by the, the things you struggle with. You're not going to be condemned. You're going to find like-minded people going on the same journey you are, trying to find freedom and finding freedom over the hurts, habits, and hang-ups on Tuesdays at 7. 
Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We also have started our life group. This is our, our small group Bible study. It's being hosted at the Callahan's home. Uh, it began last week. We had a couple uh, show up for that. If you signed up for that, please don't miss this Wednesday. We're going to kick off the actual study. We're going to be following along the Sunday morning messages and diving deeper into uh, kind of the talks that we have on Sunday morning, as well as that's a place to really get connected with people in your church, build relationships that will last a lifetime. So uh, definitely come 7 o'clock Wednesday evening. And then, of course, coming up, I believe it is on the 16th, My Brother's Keeper, our regular outreach to the homeless shelter in Flint. We're always in need of volunteers to serve, uh, people to donate, as well as to make food and the like. And so if you're interested in getting involved at any level with My Brother's Keeper, stop by the VIP table on your way out, grab a connection card, fill it out, and uh, drop it into the host there at the VIP table, and they'll get uh, you in contact with the appropriate person. As well, um, we're coming up now on uh, a new tax season between now and April. I'm sure most of you will be getting your tax documents prepared to turn into the IRS, which is always a lot of fun. So uh, at the VIP table, we have your 2018 giving statements. For those of you that gave through Vertical Life Church, uh, if you didn't just throw cash in the offering bucket, but you filled out a, a uh, offering envelope or gave online, those statements are for you or ready for you at the VIP table. And uh, you can use those to turn in for your tax paperwork as well. I believe that's all the announcements that we have for today. So let's uh, open in prayer and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for what you've already been doing, even if it's in my own heart this morning. God, thank you for your presence. God, thank you that in your presence there is joy, there is peace. God, this land, David said, is a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, there is no satisfaction. When we chase all the things the world has to offer, we're left more broken, more hurt, more alone, more isolated, more thirsty. But when we drink from the water that comes from Jesus Christ, it is living water. It ministers to the soul. It heals. It repairs. It fills with joy. God, you fill us with your love. And every time we open ourselves and open our hearts to your presence, God, we can have an encounter that will make all the things we've been struggling with okay, even for just a moment. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word and how you reveal yourself to us through scripture. God, thank you for the Bible and how it is an open doorway to hear you speak to our hearts. So God, we just come, we gather in the name of Jesus. We come to find and engage in your presence. Be with us now, God. Let the weight of your glory descend upon us as we open your word. Speak, Lord, through me. Let nothing I say be of my own devices, God, but let it be as a father's heart spoken to us, your heart. And we just praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we already kind of discussed, if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, that each year that I kind of pray and ask God, what is your word for the church? What is your theme for us? Uh, what is it that you're wanting to reveal to us this year over the course of these 12 months? And the word God spoke to me that is kind of going to be the theme that guides our church, our teaching this year is the word grow. Because I believe God wants us to grow. 
and, and not just whiter, you know, through the holidays, eating all the sweets and all the goodies. And, you know, it seems like as soon as you get through Christmas and New Year's, Valentine's Day is around the corner and then Easter's around the corner. You can't get away from all, all the uh, holiday treats. But that's not how God wants us to grow. God wants us to grow spiritually. He wants us to grow individually, spiritually, in our relationship with him. He wants us to grow in our marriages. He wants us to grow in our family units and the bond that we share. He wants our church to grow numerically. He wants us to grow in faith. He wants us to grow in our impact that we have in our community. These are the things I believe God wants for us, especially in this coming year. And so as I was praying through what teaching series we're going to be going through, I believe the Spirit of God wants us to begin with something that I believe is very important for each and every one of us. God wants us to grow in wisdom, in wisdom. And so we're going to be studying the book of wisdom. It is the book of Proverbs. And as we study this book, we're not going to go through every verse line by line, but we're going to take a look at subjects and themes throughout the book. And as we're doing that, I'm going to challenge each one of you to read one chapter in Proverbs a day until we're done with this series. If you read one chapter a day, there's 30 chapters, you can read the whole book in a month. And so as we go through this, read one chapter a day. When you get to the end, if we go, you know, two months or so, I'm not real sure how long the series will be. But you could end up reading this book maybe two or three times before we finish this series. And that you'll be soaking in the Word of God and the wisdom of God as we discuss this very important book. And I ask you to do that, to, and as you do, to help kind of grow your spiritual life, pray before you even open the book and ask the Lord to give you wisdom, to help your wisdom grow, to open your eyes and your mind and your heart to maybe things you didn't realize or even know was in the Bible before. So to set up this new teaching series, I actually want to look at a particular story in the New Testament. It's not even in the book of Proverbs, but then we'll go into what I believe is the main point of the entire book the main point in the introduction of this book of Proverbs. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Luke 2, as well as should be on the YouVersion Bible app and the live events page. You should be able to navigate there to see the verse references for our story. But we're going to begin looking at the events that happened right after the Lord's birth, which I think is fitting because we just came out of the holiday season celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And after the story of the Lord's birth, we get a snapshot of Jesus' youth. And not much is known about Jesus as a young child. And I guess, for whatever reason, God didn't find it to be important to really give us all the details of his youth as we see in his last three years of his life. But we do have one particular story that happened, that begins really the day after the Lord was circumcised on the eighth day of his birth. Of course, we know biblically that every Jewish boy was to be circumcised on the eighth day after he's born according to the law of Moses. So Jesus' parents, after he's born on day eight, take him to the temple to be circumcised. They go through this ceremony. And this is what God's word records for us, beginning in verse 39 of Luke chapter 2 in this story as we look at setting up the book of Proverbs. In verse 39, it says... When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee, 
There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. As we see, even from infancy, as Jesus began to grow, he not only grew in size and in age, but he grew healthy, he grew strong, but he also was filled with God's wisdom, and God's favor was on his life. Even before we see anything else about him, this is what we know of Jesus. Verse 41 kind of snaps ahead several years, about to the age of 12. So we go from day 8 to the age of 12. In verse 41, it says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. This was a big deal in ancient Palestine. Verse 42, When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among other travelers. Now, the first thing I want to point out here is really the humor of this passage. And maybe those that have kids will find this funny. I don't know, but, but I think that this is hysterical because I can totally see and, and relate with what is going on in this story. But if, you've, if you have children... Have you ever been out with a group of friends or maybe been at church and your kids were with someone else or you thought your kids were with someone else and so you leave thinking everyone's taken care of and then all of a sudden you you get down the road or you get home and you do a head check and you realize um, somebody's missing. Have you experienced that? Any parents in here experienced that? Come on, this is church. Don't lie. Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very common. This is a common thing. If you only have one kid, it's kind of hard to do that. And I would say shame on you if you lose your one kid. You know, but when you get to you know, number four, it's a little easier to do. But, but you know, th- this is what happened. They, they went to Passover. They were around, and they probably were with a caravan, a large group of people, had some extended family there. And so when they went to go home, they just assumed Jesus was with the rest of the party. And not too long did they get down the road where they realized, man, Jesus isn't here. And I have a confession to make. This happened to my wife and I not too long ago. We... we typically um, drive separately to church and uh, because I, I get here a little earlier to help set up. She comes a little later. And, and so when we drive home, we usually have, I have usually the boys or she has the girls or we have some conglomeration of, of the children in the car. But it's not uncommon that one or several of our kids will go home with their grandparents on Sunday morning. And so this particular Sunday, uh, I got done packing up my stuff and was, was ready to leave, and my wife was still talking, and so I decided, well, I'm going to go ahead and go home, and I'll wait for her to get there, and we'll you know, join in the same car and go to lunch or whatever we were going to do, thinking that you know, some of our kids will be with her, some will be with the grandparents, just like normal. So she comes home and has a few of the kids, and so none of us really think anything of it, and then we get a phone call. And it's Chris Callahan. And if you know Chris, he works out in the coffee area. And Chris Callahan had said, hey, Joey, are you missing something? And I'm like, no. Not that I know of. Why? He's like, because Asher is still here at the church. And we both look at each other and we're like, ah. 
You know, this used to happen to me, not often, but every once in a while. My parents were in ministry, and I got left at the church maybe once or twice. And so I, I kind of swore early on this would never happen to my kids, and here it is happening to me. And so we felt like parents of the year, leaving our kids at the church, and believe it or not, Chris Callahan has never let me forget this story ever. Whenever we're walking out, he makes sure to do a head count, and I make sure I have all my children. But uh, it, it's just something that happens. And it's not just embarrassing, though, to lose your own kid. Can you imagine being the parents that lost God? I mean, losing my kid is one thing. But here, you know, Joe and Mary are heading home. Joe's liking his new sandals he just got, and Mary's rocking her new tunic and checking her makeup in the mirror because they just left the festival, and they're thinking they look good, and, and everything's great. And then all of a sudden, they look at each other, and they're like, hey, where's Jesus? You seen Jesus? And Joe's like, no, I thought he was with you. And Mary's like, well, I thought he was with you. And they both look like, oh, snap, we lost God. We lost God. I mean, Moses has all these instructions of when you make a mistake, what to do. He said nothing about losing God. We are in trouble. I could just see this. And they begin to panic, and they race back to Jerusalem, and it takes them several days to find God. And I can only imagine that it stopped being a humorous situation and began a panic, like, oh, no, what might have happened? What might have happened to our son? Maybe somebody snagged him. Maybe he was hurt or injured. What might have happened? But it's a humorous story that becomes not so humorous when you put yourself in their place. But here they are searching for Jesus. And finally, a few days later, they catch up to the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse 45, it says, When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later... Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. They had been going out of their mind, not being able to find their son for three days. But there he was, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Keep yourself in this moment, right? Mary and Joseph are wigging out of their mind. They're like, finally found him, and they're frantic. But here Jesus is sitting among men twice, maybe three times his age, who've been trained professionally in the law, in all of the religious customs of the day. They were professional ministers of that day. They were leaders in their own right. And they were in awe and amazed at his understanding. They couldn't comprehend where this kid, 12 years old, got his answers. I have a 12-year-old, and I'm shocked at things that come out of their mouth, but not because of the answer, but because of what just came out of their mouth. But here they were in awe and amazed. Luke 2:48 says his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you search, he asked. This is Jesus responding. And here's what's so interesting about this passage. It says, your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But Jesus says, why did you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? 
but it says they didn't understand what he meant. You know, I can think what's going through their mind. Um, didn't you just hear me? Your father and I have been searching for you. You know, Joseph, your father, the carpenter guy, the one you live with, we're, we've been searching for you. But here Jesus says, I have to be in my father's house. He was showing them a new truth. You see, in the days of Christ and in this Jewish culture, culture the Jews knew God as Yahweh and Jehovah. They did not know him as father. They didn't know him as father. So they were confused. They were taken back by what Jesus said because it was a radical way to speak about God. Moses gave them Yahweh, but Jesus is now giving them father. And I can only just imagine what they were thinking and feeling like, what does this mean for our faith? What is he saying? And they were getting a glimpse of why the professional leaders of Judaism in that day were amazed at his answers. After this account, verse 51, it says, Then Jesus returned to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. This, this moment where she realized, okay, my son is not just my son, that this is somebody special. This is God in flesh. And, and his calling and his purpose is beyond anything we can imagine. And they're just seeing this wisdom and getting a glimpse of who Jesus was going to be. And she's wondering, what does this mean for my faith? This is going to be a game changer, referring to God as Father. What is this Jesus about to do? And this is the only real glimpse of what we get of Christ in his life. We see that he was growing stronger and, and had wisdom, and we see the wisdom unfold right here before our very eyes. But then in Luke 2.52, it says something else very significant about Jesus. If he wasn't wise enough, if he wasn't awe and inspiring enough as a 12-year-old boy, it says Jesus grew in what? Wisdom and in stature, that's age. And because he grew, as he got older, he continued to grow in wisdom. He also grew in what? Favor with God in all the people. I mean, can you fathom it for a moment? The one who created everything. John says that nothing was created that wasn't created by the very word of Jesus Christ. The one that created everything. With all of his understanding, everything that he had, can you imagine that he grew, not just in age, but also in wisdom? It was Jesus' wisdom and understanding that brought the favor of God into his life, and it was the favor of God that brought the favor of all the rest of the people. What if, and if you think about it, I like to daydream sometimes. I like to just think about what-if scenarios in my mind, but what if from infancy, just as Jesus was maybe even crawling on the floor or just beginning to walk, that he was so intimate with God that the Holy Spirit was constantly whispering and teaching and guiding and, and God was taking pleasure in opening his eyes to the depth and the mysteries that only God could understand. As maybe Jesus was just maybe a five-year-old boy and standing outside looking at the stars and the father comes down and begins to whisper and says, hey, son, you know what? You see that star? You made that. And remember 
how you did it. You, you spoke and you began to form the colors and the ground and, and all the particles that make it exist and all the mass and the matter and all the laws of physics that went into forming and carving that, that star. You did that. And from an early age, God began to speak and open his mind and give him wisdom, constantly teaching and pouring over his son. And how he took him to the word. And every time he went to the synagogue and he heard a man of faith read from the word of God, the spirit of God whispered in his ear, hey, that's about you. That's what you're going to do. You're going to fill my glory. I wrote that because of you. And the wisdom of Jesus began to grow and increase, and his faith increased, and his understanding of who he was increased, and, Jesus, and to the point that Jesus one day would be baptized, and his father would say from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I believe that God the Father took pride in showing young Jesus all the mysteries of the world, all the depths of his wisdom, and that he never got tired of pouring himself into his son. And why did he do that? Why did he help Jesus grow in wisdom? It's so that his son could grow up to be successful in everything he did. So he could be successful, so he could walk in the favor of God and walk in the favor of people. And you know what? Jesus was successful in everything he did. And thank God he was successful. For when he said, it is finished, it meant that it was done. He accomplished it. And now salvation is open for everyone. I'm so thankful Jesus was successful. And I look at this book of Proverbs, and even though it was written by several authors, the most famous is Solomon. It begins in chapter 1 as a letter from a father to a son, begging and beckoning the son to hearken his ear to wisdom, to listen and learn and grow. And I can only imagine that as we understand that the Bible is the very breath of God, it's inspired and breathed out by God himself, that these were the very words, the very nuggets of wisdom that the father continued to speak into his son Jesus as he grew in stature and wisdom and had the favor of God and all the people. These proverbs are simply just wise sayings. They're generalities. They're not all promises. They're not all guaranteed to be true, but they're just simple wisdom. But even within these wise sayings are revelations of profound truth that if we take them to heart, it will bring about the favor of God and the favor of people in your life. And as we seek to grow this year, I really believe one of the areas that we need to grow is in the favor of God. If we want to uh, make an impact in our community, we need the favor of God on our ministry. If we want to see our relationships restored, we need the favor of, favor of God in our homes. And the way to God's favor is by growing in wisdom. And the book of Proverbs, again, begins as a letter from a father to a son from Solomon to his son in preparation to be heir to the throne, to be the next king. And Solomon's wish was to teach and train his son to avoid the pitfalls that would bring not only his destruction, but the destruction of the entire nation. And the other writers involved, like Lemuel and, and others, they included their input to 
create a library of wisdom inspired by God for all of us to study. And I believe, again, since this is inspired by the very breath of God, that Jesus learned from these very scriptures, and God intends to father us into wisdom just as he fathered Jesus into wisdom. Just as Yahweh fathered his son and he grew in wisdom, the Father wants to father us to grow into wisdom. And so today we're going to read really just one simple passage. We've got a few other verses to read, but we're going to read one simple passage to set the foundation of this whole teaching series as we seek to grow in wisdom. And this is, is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And I'd like us to read this together if you have it. It's in the New Living Translation. The verses should also be on the screen. But the verse says this, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the true foundation of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. When you read the book of Proverbs, you're going to see this phrase, the fear of the Lord, eight different times throughout the book. Eight different times this verse shows up. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5, Proverbs 9, 10, Proverbs 10, 27, Proverbs 14, 27, Proverbs 15, 33, Proverbs 19, 23, and Proverbs 22, verse 4. And each time the fear of the Lord is mentioned, it is tied in tandem with the favor of God. It is not only the beginning of wisdom and the foundation of understanding, but it is the very pathway to God's favor. So to listen and learn from these Proverbs is to seek the very will of God and invite his favor into your life. But conversely, to reject these teachings, like Proverbs 1 says, it would be to depart from his will and invite dysfunction and hardship into your life. The wise seek wisdom, but fools despise correction. And here Solomon to his son and the father to Jesus. And now the spirit of God to us is urging us to lean in to this truth. God's favor is yours. God wants to give you favor. Pour his blessings out in your life. His blessings are yours. His abundant life is yours. It's ready and available. The father wants to Bring good things into your life because as his children, he loves bestowing good things on his children. But the way to access those good things, his blessing, his abundant life, begins with the fear of the Lord. With the fear of the Lord comes wisdom and blessing. So the question is, what is the fear of the Lord? We hear this statement maybe and don't really quite understand what it is, but the book of Proverbs reveals to us what it is. In Proverbs 8, 13 This is what it says. It says, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corrupt and perverse speech. Verse 13 of Proverbs 8 in the ESV says it like this. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. So when we think of the fear of the Lord, we need to think of it like this. That the fear of the Lord is an extreme reverence born out of a passionate love for God. It's an extreme reverence born out of a passionate love for God. You see, if we revered God, we would be conscious of him in all things. If we revered God, we'd be conscious of him in all things. We would consider him in all of our ways. 
Proverbs says, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. If we revered God, we would consider him in all of our ways. We would consult him in all of our decisions. We would love him selflessly and we would love what he loves and we would hate what he hates. Proverbs 8.13 says, because I fear the Lord, I hate pride. So why does the writer hate pride? Well, it's because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If God opposes the proud and I fear him, then I'm going to oppose the proud. If I hate, if God hates injustice, that means if I fear the Lord, I'm going to hate injustice and I'm going to pursue justice in the earth. We will hate what God hates, but we will love what he loves. If we were to revere God, we would not live as his enemies, but at his, as his beloved friends. Jesus said that we are friends of God. If we revered God, we would enter his presence in humility and respect, recognizes his great holiness in comparison to our sinfulness. If we revered God, we would worship him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, because anything else would be a shame. Be a shame because we know in his word that says our righteousness, the best that we can do is like filthy rags compared to his glory anyways. So to offer him anything less than our best is a shame on us. If we revered God, we'd give him our best. And the reason we continue to fail and struggle and sin, why I would choose to lie to cover my sin rather than humbly confess my sin when I'm cornered is because in the moment that I'm cornered, I'm caught, I lose my fear of the Lord and I begin to fear something far less significant. When we walk fearful of anything other than God, we become simple-minded fools destined for dysfunction and difficulty. But when we walk in the fear of the Lord, faith will fuel our obedience and favor will fill our lives. The fear of the Lord is the beginning and foundation of wisdom. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of inviting dysfunction into my life. Are you tired? Are you tired of inviting dysfunction into your life? Of battling the same struggles over and over and over again? of allowing the enemy that we wrestle against each and every day to continue to steal and get in the way of our purpose and the calling of God? See, I'm ready to let wisdom be my teacher. And I desire for, to be so intimate with my true father in heaven that I could smell a demonic lie a mile away and run from it. I'm hungry to learn and to grow, to go to the next level in my faith. But before I can take the next step to grow in wisdom, I must learn to reverence the Lord, to fear the Lord. And what we need as a church in this modern age is not a reality check. What we need is a revelation of God, who he is. We need a revelation of his glory, to see him for who he is. You see, I know how broken I am. I'm faced with that each and every day. But that doesn't stop me from making the same mistakes over and over again or walking in doubt or, or, or uh, stepping out of God's will. What I need is a fresh revelation of God to remind me of how great he is, to remind me of who it is I really serve, to learn to fear him more in every area of my life than just the areas I find it easier to honor him. 
In Exodus 18, uh, I was reminded of a story this past week. I'm, I'm kind of a, an archaeology kind of nerd. I don't know anybody else that likes history, but I've been listening to some podcasts that have been talking about biblical archaeology and how they actually found the original Mount Sinai in Arabia. And if you don't know the story, in Exodus 18, the nation of Israel just crossed the Red Sea. They came out into Arabia. They're, they're on their way to the promised land. And just before they, they go on their journey, God takes them to Mount Sinai. He sends Moses up to get the Ten Commandments. We, we kind of seen the movies. We know the story. But in Exodus 18, God tells Moses to prepare the people for his coming, to prepare them for a revelation of his glory because he was going to descend on the mountain and he was going to reveal his glory to the nation so that they would be filled with such fear in his presence that they would never turn away from his ways. And so he told Moses, set up markers around the mountain so that, it, that if anyone crossed, they would, they would die instantly. Set up these markers so no one will cross into the mountain. Don't, don't let anyone cross. And he says, when, when the, the, my presence comes down, they will know that I am the Lord. And in this archaeology uh, podcast, it reveals that, that at the base of this mountain, the markers are still there. And matter of fact, the, the altar that they set up to worship and, and do sacrifices to the Lord are still there. And they found Hebrew and Jewish pottery and all the stuff that's still there. It's remarkable that these are thousands upon thousands of years old. But what's even greater in my mind is the fact that in the story in Exodus 18, you can read it, God descends in, the, in a cloud, in a smoke a cloud, and there's fire that erupts on the mountain. There's lightning and thunder and an earthquake and this just massive revelation of his glory to the point that not a single person in all of the nation of Israel, hundreds of thousands of people are left standing. They're all on their face before God, crying out in fear for their lives. Even Moses was afraid of the fierce presence of God. And in this story, we see that this magnitude of his presence revealed. And the archaeology found this mountain where the stones on the top of the mountain are charred black. And historically, the, this mountain has been considered a volcano. And so the archaeologists said, well, if it's volcanic rock, if we go up there and we break the rocks open, it'll be black all the way through because that's how volcanic rock is. And so they went up to the top of the mountain and they broke the rocks open and it wasn't black all the way through. It was solid granite on the inside. And so the mountain was charred from an unknown source, but the rocks were still intact. And you have a revelation of this story. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It talks about worship and consecration and revelation of the holiness and magnitude of who God is. And that's the kind of revelation we need to remember that God is an awesome God, that he is a fire and brimstone, lightning and thunder and earthquake and wind kind of God, that before him no one stands because nothing is as great as he is. We remember that's the God that we serve, that that is the Lord that we have, that that power and glory was contained in flesh and given for us on a cross. It changes the way we think. Well, it should. To know who it is. We in this church age, we don't need a reality check. We need a revelation of the God we serve to fear him and nothing else. You see, the nation of Israel, after this revelation, they realized so, God was so holy that they would not dare say his name. They wouldn't even write his name down. They misspelled it on purpose for fear of saying the holy name or, or saying his name in vain. And people in our day say God's name in vain without a thought. 
OMG. Hashtag, hashtag. We don't need a reality check. We need a revelation of who this God is that we serve. So we fear the Lord and honor him with a reverence that is unparalleled. In my youth, I didn't grow up really gaining wisdom from my own father. My, my father and I never really hung out, and it's not to cast any shame on him. He was busy and, and didn't, by his upbringing, didn't really know how to connect, and we didn't have a lot in common, so we never spent a lot of time together. But when I think of nuggets of wisdom, and you think of movies, you think the dad is always there teaching the son how to do something, and then giving them the, those little quick sayings to remember life lessons and things of that sort. And uh, I didn't really have any of that from my father growing up. Uh, the person I could look back and, and see that I received nuggets of wisdom for was more so my grandfather. And uh, my grandfather actually helped us plant this church. He was here at my ordination service and in, in the last several years has been an integral part of my life. Uh, but... Uh, as I got older and began to enter in the ministry, struggles began to come, questions began to arise that I really didn't know how to handle or, or answer. And so I sought my grandfather's wisdom because of his experience and, and ministry uh, life to kind of find a way to walk through these issues that I had. And one of the kind of catchy sayings that I have ha received from my grandfather or that I can remember is one that I appreciate when it comes to dealing with difficult people. And I don't know if you knew this, but sometimes people can be difficult. Uh, and uh, so in the ministry, we, we come across that from time to time. I didn't, I didn't know if that's your experience, but it is mine. And one of the things my grandfather said to me when I was younger, he said, people don't do what they should do. They do what they do do. And I always remembered that. Because if you expect a broken person to be perfect, you will be constantly discouraged and disappointed. Broken people will always be broken. And so that statement, people don't do what they should do, they do what they do do, helps me remember that when somebody drops the ball or does something hurtful, not to take offense, but to do the one thing Jesus did to me, and that was offer grace, to be gracious. And so I appreciate that wisdom. But you know, there was a time in my life where I didn't receive wisdom from my grandfather, where I didn't get any wisdom from him. And it's not because he didn't have any wisdom to share or didn't, or for the lack of trying, because my grandfather, if you knew him, he would always try to pour in whether you wanted him to or not. So, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, granddad, mm -hmm, yeah, thank you. And, and I would smile and nod and just do what I wanted to do anyways, or or I would just totally blow him off and ignore him altogether. And I look back and think about why that was. And the reality is, is that I didn't receive wisdom from him at that point in my life when I could have, is because I didn't revere him like I should. I didn't revere him in my life enough to listen to him. I did not honor him enough to give him the credibility to speak into my life. So I just kind of shut him out. I ignored him. So when he tried to speak into my life, I blew him off because I did not have reverence for him. 
And this is why I think many Christians continue to make the same mistakes they do or why we, we, we don't go to the word of God and find out what God's will is for our life. We just live our lives the way we, we feel. We live according to our emotions and our feelings. And when things don't go right or life gets hard, we cry out to God and we blame him when God's word has a lot to say about a lot of different things in our lives. We continue to do those same cycles over and over again, and it's not because our Heavenly Father doesn't have any wisdom to give or that He's not trying to speak into our lives. The reality is there's not enough reverence in us to receive it. There's not enough reverence to give God the credibility to speak into our lives. We take what the world says. We'll, we'll accept everything we learn in school and on TV. We'll go to every self-help book and go through every 101 way to fix ourselves only to figure out that book wasn't exactly right. So we go to the next 101 ways to fix ourselves. When the Father has given us the answer to life's questions, the answer to our struggles, the pathway to blessing and favor in his word, in his love letter to us all along. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the question I have for you today, church, is do you revere God? Not do you believe in him, not do you like him, but do you revere him? Do you fear the Lord? Do you revere him enough to let him hit those sacred cows in your life, to tip over those sacred spaces that you've been guarding, the, the secret places in your heart that you've been trying to keep every and anyone from being able to see, touch, or have access to, the places you've closed off before, and allow God to challenge what you've always felt, what you've always believed, in the areas that, that you need the deepest change to redirect you on the path of favor and blessing? Do you revere him enough to do it? Will you listen to the whisper of your father's heart as he calls on you and beckons you to seek wisdom? As the spirit of God speaks into your life, child, pursue wisdom. Grow in wisdom. Will you listen? For this is what he whispers in Proverbs 8, 14 through 21. The Lord says to you today, church, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. God wants to give you an inheritance. And he wants to fill your treasuries with good things. The question is, is will you revere him enough to let him speak into your life and lead you on the path of wisdom? This series is called Walk with the wise. Walk with the wise. And it comes from Proverbs 13, 20, which says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. I heard an evangelist say one time when I was younger, show me your friends and I will show you your future. 
Show me your friends and I will show you your future. And as I look at scripture, I have to say, you know, Solomon was pretty wise. Would you agree? Solomon was a wise guy. Jesus was incredibly wise because he was God. Jesus also calls you his friend. So what better friends to hang out with than Solomon and the Lord? And I invite you today to take this journey with us. Be here, get involved, get engaged. Join the life group, dig in. Read the book of Proverbs each day as we go through this journey together because what better friends could we choose to hang out with to help reveal our future than the Lord Jesus Christ. As we take this journey through the book of Proverbs, as we seek wisdom in the area of our lives, ask the Lord, God, reveal to me the places in my life where I've been foolish and help me grow in wisdom. As we read the same letter, a father read to a son, the father read to the son and showed him the way of life. Let's bow for prayer. Father, as we come to a time of response. Holy Spirit, I know that you're working in our lives. You've been working in mine all week. As we contemplate and wrestle with these words. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to draw every heart. Draw every heart in this place. You know, there's not a person here that's without sin. There's not a person here without brokenness. There's not a person here that doesn't have a struggle or a trial going on in their life. So help us in this moment to fear you more than we fear anything else. To choose to honor you more than we choose to honor anything else. You're here today, church. Whatever areas in your life you're struggling with, what areas do you need wisdom? What is it in your life where you need wisdom? Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in your parenting. It's in your finances. Maybe it's in your relationships. Whatever it is that you need wisdom, whatever areas you've been struggling today, I invite you to respond by just coming forward and laying yourself down on these first rows of seats as a symbol of an old-fashioned altar and just to lay yourself before the Lord and just go to the Lord's presence. Ask God to begin speaking into those areas of your life to soften your heart and open your eyes to the truth, the things that you need to know. Ask him to help you grow in wisdom so that you can walk the way of life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around in this time of prayer. If you need prayer for anything, if God's tugging on your heart, now is the time to respond. Just stand to your feet and come forward. I'll be down here to pray with you if you need prayer. And in just a moment, we'll finish our time of worship by receiving our offering. But for the next few moments, let's just pray together. And you come.